You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. Today's our final week of the Jonah series, by the way. We've spent five weeks, if you count today, on a book of the Bible that has 1.5 pages. That is thorough, my friends. This has been a thorough journey through the book of Jonah, and I've enjoyed it, and I hope you have. Uh, Today is probably my favorite out of all the the messages. I love this chapter of Jonah. It's just so interesting, but let's kind of remember what's happened so far. So, so far in Jonah, uh, we've seen what happens when you run from the plans of God that Jonah ends up in a bad spot because God says, I want you to go here. And Jonah goes as far away from God as he possibly can. And so Jonah ends up at rock bottom. He ends up in the belly of the beast. He's he's swallowed by a fish, which is unusual in and of itself. But that's where he ends up. And we've seen uh, what happens when you remember God, even in those dark places, when you turn to God and and how God is merciful. And, And Jonah ends up singing hymns of praise inside the belly of the beast because he's so overwhelmed with the mercy and grace of God. And then we see... Now, what happens when, when we experience God's judgment, that God can be uh, both judgmental and loving, and there is a righteous response to God's judgment. So we're learning so much in 1.5 pages. I mean, this is absolutely incredible. And then, if you guys remember what happened last week, um, Jonah goes into the city, he goes into Nineveh, preaches the worst sermon the world has ever heard. It's like eight words, it's, there's no compassion, it's like, in a few days you're all going to die, and then he just keeps going. And that's his sermon. But after that, something absolutely amazing happens. Jonah 3.10. It says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So God has told Jonah, I'm going to destroy the whole city. 40 days. I'm going to destroy the whole place. And Jonah goes in, preaches the world's worst sermon, and we'll find out today there's like 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh. They turn and repent. Everybody repents. Y'all remember this? E- even the goats and the sheep, they realized they had been bad and they turned and they repented. And so there's dad joke. Thank you. When you're 46, you start to think dad jokes are funny. Whatever. But the whole city repents, right? Everyone turns and there's all this stuff going on. And so, and Jonah should be ecstatic. Like if I preached the world's worst sermon, which I couldn't possibly do, but if I was to preach the world's worst sermon and and then then 120,000 people repented, I would be fired. Y'all remember the Billy Graham Crusades? Anybody remember Billy Graham Crusades? Some of you people, y'all remember. Um, This was bigger than that. 120,000 people in one moment. Like if you're a pastor, this is the highest of highs. This is the greatest moment of your life. And so just a quick show of hands. There's no right or wrong here. Who's already read chapter four of Jonah? Okay, would you call this a confusing conclusion to a confusing book? Yeah, because Jonah should be ecstatic. This should be the highest moment of his pastoral career, right? Let's see how Jonah responds to 120,000 people repenting. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. He's angry. He's angry because God didn't destroy the people. And Jonah's like, hold on, God. Don't you remember what these people did to your people, the Israelites? You don't remember the Ninevites, God? Remember how they impaled us on a spear and they would just leave us there? 
Remember how they would skin us alive? God, don't you remember what they did to us? And like, this is, this is why you told me to go over, yeah, and I went over, yeah, because I knew what you would do. I, I knew what you were going to do. You let them off the hook. I wanted justice. I wanted judgment. That's not what I got. Next verse. This is, this is great. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Y'all remember when Jonah was in the belly of the fish? And he realizes that God is compassionate and, and loving. And so Jonah's singing the hymn songs like, oh, how great is our God. You're so wonderful. And now he's like, I remember that you're kind and nice and you're compassionate and you're slow to anger and you're forgiving. And I can't stand those things about you. God can't believe you. What are you doing? Why, why, why are you not punishing them? Abounding in love. So frustrating. I hate it when you abound in love. Isn't this odd? Listen, remember, and, and to the people at the time, they would have laughed reading this story. So it's okay. We're like, I mean, this, are you, what? He's taking God's own words. In the book of Exodus, uh, God is leading the people out of uh, captivity in Egypt. And at one point, Moses goes up on the mountain to have this conversation with God. And when Moses is up on the mountain, all the Israelites just go nuts. They start worshiping false gods, uh, everything. They just totally turn on God. And God's like, all right, I'm going to destroy these people. And Moses says, God, don't destroy them, please. And Moses begs for, for the Israelites, and so God relents. He says, all right, I'm not going to destroy them. And Moses says, why won't you, why, why aren't you? I'm just curious, God, why aren't you going to destroy them? And God says, because I am Yahweh, I'm gracious, and I'm compassionate, and I'm slow to anger, and I'm abounding in love. This is who I am. And so what Jonah is doing is taking God's words and throwing them in God's face and saying, see, I knew you would let these people off the hook. That's why I didn't want to do what you wanted me to do. God had shown Jonah, great mercy in the belly of the beast. And this same, this same guy who's experienced the mercy of God is now over here just a few days later wanting God to show vengeance on everybody else. The same guy who a few days earlier was singing, oh God, you're so great. Now when things aren't going his way, he's acting like a totally different person. Jonah was something on Sunday morning, but he's something else on Friday night. Man, I'm glad this is not a story about us. Aren't you? Aren't you glad this is a far-off story in a far-off place? It has nothing to do with me. Whoa. Hmm. Perhaps there is something in here. Maybe we should explore. What Jonah does is what we've all done a thousand times. Begged God for our mercy and then begged him for your judgment. Right? This is a big kid story, not a veggie tale. It's more than a fish story, I'm telling you, man. There's, so, there's something going on here. This is the hard stuff, guys. This is, this is the stuff where we really have to dig in, and this is the impractical stuff and the stuff that makes no sense. And, and, and like, we know this is us because we've said, and I've said, and I've thought, and you've probably said, all right, God, you know, like, if someone does something to me, I can forgive that. But if someone does something to my family or my country or blah, 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 then they deserve your wrath. And as a matter of fact, I will be the one who carries out your wrath on them. 
And so we live in this, in this like strange world between, oh, God, you're so merciful and forgive me, between not that, not them, not now. It's not practical. It makes no sense. But this is where we live, right? In this world where we want grace for us. For them, we want justice. And so this is what they're working through here in chapter 4. That's what they're dealing with. Unless I know what I'm going to say today, you're going to go, how in the world can I live that out in the real world, Tommy? As if I live in some sort of church bubble, right? How does this make sense in the real world? That's what we'll wrestle with. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Okay, so Jonah's angry, right? And what you are going to see today is Jonah is very dramatic. He's angry again. And God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry with me about what I'm doing over here? And Jonah doesn't even respond. Not now, God. I'm busy. Got some things going. Don't have time for this conversation. Quit making it about me, God. Don't make it about me. Make it about them. This is not about me, God. This isn't about my problem. This is about the Ninevites. And God, I'm not even going to talk about this. And then it says he goes outside of the city. He makes himself a shelter because Jonah is still believing that God is going to destroy these people. Because God said he was. And God keeps his word. God is holy and righteous. So Jonah goes out and builds himself a shelter. And in the words of Rihanna, he says, I'm just going to sit here and watch them burn. It's all right. I probably, probably shouldn't do that. So he's sitting there waiting to watch the city burn. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> and that's what's happening right here. Hope, hope it all makes sense to everyone now. And then, then listen, listen to this. So, so he, he's mad because God is going to not burn the city down, so he's wanting it because he believes God is always going to do what God says he's going to do, and he knows God is holy and just, so God surely is going to take out his anger on the Ninevites, but God is also compassionate and righteous and slow to anger and abounding in love, and so God doesn't take out his anger on the Ninevites, but this conversation is Jonah 4, 5. Watch this. Jonah 4, 6, excuse me. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah is very happy about the plant. He's happy now. He's in the desert. He's built a shelter. God makes a leafy plant, which eases his discomfort. And before you run off to native green, this is about shade. Don't, get, don't try to make something out of this that it's not. A leafy plant that eases discomfort. This is not what that's about. Don't try to, try to make that connection. God makes a, a plant that eases Jonah's discomfort in the shade. And now Jonah's happy. Now, I love, Jonah is, is like a three-year-old. He's mad. And now he's happy. It's like moment by moment by moment, he's like a totally different person. Again, I'm so glad this isn't us because we're all so consistent emotionally. It's a far-off book and a far-off place, right? Jonah 4, listen to what God does here. Jonah 4, 7. But at dawn the next day, God provides a worm which chewed the plant and it withered. He's happy? Not anymore. A worm has chewed the plant. 
What has God provided so far in this book? A big storm, a big fish, a medium-sized plant, and a very small worm. It's like a lot of work to make a point, right? God is going through a lot of effort to make a point to Jonah. And now the worm chews the plant. Jonah 4 said, but at dawn the next day, God provides a worm which chewed the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose, God provides a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And guess what? He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me if I were to not live. He's having a tantrum. Do you all see this? He was happy, and now he's mad. And this is, this is the response of a three-year-old, of a child. But this is our response. This is how we are. We're so inconsistent in our faith. We love God, and then we can't stand, and, and we want mercy, and then we want justice, and we want vengeance, and we want blah, 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 blah. This is us. Over and over and over. They're going through this whole sin in our humanity Hasn't dirty water and clean water spewed from the same fountain from all of us? Jonah 4.9. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about that plant? It is, Jonah says. And I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, man, you've been concerned about this plant and you didn't tend it and you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. You've only known it for one day, Jonah, one day. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and also the many animals? It's like, Jonah, don't forget about the sheep and the goats. God wants to make sure that we do not forget about the animals in the story. I don't know why, but they're in there over and over. But God says, Jonah, you're upset about a plant. You've known that plant for 24 hours. You've had a 24-hour relationship with a plant, and you're this upset with me. Don't you know that I've known the Ninevites before the foundation of the earth was ever laid? Don't you know these are a people created in my image? And I know they're making bad choices, and I know you don't like them, and I know they've done terrible things, but they've repented, and so I'm showing mercy on them. Don't you want me to do that? No. No, I don't. God's like, man, the Ninevites have failed in a thousand ways, but they were created in my image. Don't you know I love them too? Throw that verse back up there for me if you don't mind. Does anyone who's read chapter 4 know what comes next? Anyone? Anyone want to just shout it out what the next verse is? Story's over. This is the end of the story. That, that's it. And I, the first time I read this story, maybe when you read it, you were like, okay, and then? And then, like, no, that's it. The story ends right here. And, and so we should be asking ourselves, why, God, why aren't you wrapping this up? We like nice bows around things. Like, I want a beginning, middle, and an end, and I want there to be a resolution. Why are you not resolving what happened with Jonah's life? Like, what did Jonah say next? What did Jonah do next? What happened? And do you know why I believe God's not wrapping this story up for us? Because the story's not about Jonah. The story's about me. And the story's about you. And the story is about how God's people respond to people we don't like. The story is about how God's people respond to people we hate. The story is about how God's people want mercy for our sin and payment for their sin. And that's what I believe the story of Jonah is really about. Of how I respond to God telling me to love my enemy. 
Luke 6, 27. Guys, this is the heart of the gospel, okay? This is Jesus talking, and he says, But you who are listening, I say, love your enemy. Do good for those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Just keep that up there for me. Guys, that, that right there is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the core. Like, this is the crux. This is what it all centers around, is us loving people we don't necessarily like. Inside of the kingdom of God, we should have such a radical, world-changing love that we're willing to love people we disagree with. We're going to love people we don't like. We're willing to love people who persecute us. And you're thinking, Tommy, that's not practical. I know it's not practical. I didn't write the book. But this is life inside of the kingdom of God. And if you happen to believe that this is just a story for a far-off people in a far-off place, let me remind you of how Christians acted during Corona. Let me remind you of how the church turned on each other. Let me remind you of how we, we left being brothers and sisters and became Republicans and Democrats, and we began to persecute each other because of masks and vaccines and how we voted. We turned on each other when it got tough. This isn't his story. This is our story. This is the story of what happens when we elevate political stance and ideas over human beings. This story, this is my story. And it's your story. And it's the story of the church in so many ways. We chose sides. Now, many of us have repented, but many are still living it. There's a whole movement inside of church. It's called Christian nationalism. And this is where we elevate God and country. You know, we, we, we tie them together as if they're one thing, and, and it's America first, and to hell with everybody else. And if that bothers you, it should bother you. Because that is the mentality so many of us have taken. We isolate. We don't care about them. They're not our problem. Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know how they live? Don't you know who they are? We're better than that. We're better than them. We deserve you, God, and they don't. And that's what our mentality becomes, and every one of us knows it's true. Because in some way, we all experienced it. We all begin to slide into this version of thinking that said, they don't deserve you, but we do. This is a scary story. It's a big kid story. It's in the veggie tale, my friends. This is what we must deal with inside of the kingdom of God. We have been complicit, and we have played a part. And we say, no, no. I care about my people. Yeah, you do. So do I. I care about my family and my tribe and my people. That's not Christianity. God, God says, okay, so you love the people who are like you? Congratulations. What I'm calling you to do is love the people who hate you. And that's where, again, we go, man, God, don't you realize how? Not now, God. Not now. I just want to stand here and watch them burn. I don't want to deal with me. I don't do it with me, God. What about them? Didn't you see how they voted? Didn't you see what they voted for? Don't you see what they believe in? Don't you see how they act in that place with those people? And what we do, and this, this is one of, it's one of the most evil things we do, and we've all done it. We take what we don't like about a person or a people, and we end up making them the sum of that thing. Let me give you, for instance, uh, let, let me, bad driving. That's one that should be 
really clear to most of you who live out here. Bad driving. We say, Billy Bob, Billy Bob is a bad driver. That's what we don't like about him. He's a bad driver. Billy Bob is a human who's also a bad driver. But over time, we take out that is a human thing, and it's just Billy Bob the bad driver. And he, it's not something he does anymore. Bad driver becomes who he is. And so, so, so we take something someone does or a group of people have done, and over time we remove that, and it's just who they are. Y'all know who else did this? Hitler in World War II. Jews were like cockroaches. Then he changed it to Jews are cockroaches. And he was able to lead an entire people against a group of God's people by simply changing their identity to something else. That could never happen here. I don't know. I don't know. But I think this book of Jonah is a warning to us. The primary evidence of God's grace and compassion and forgiveness is not the fact that those people still exist. The primary evidence that our God is compassionate and graceful is the fact that I still exist. It's the fact that you still exist. Never, ever, ever believe your sin didn't require as much blood as theirs. And when we begin to believe this, we can dehumanize other people and elevate ourselves. And this is the story of Jonah. So I've been saying over and over, this is a big kid story because there's something inside of all of us that thinks either about a person or a group of people. Man, if they weren't around, I would. If only God would deal with them, then I would. And here's the truth. And I think this is the crux of the Jonah story. You want to know the truth about who you are? Look how you respond when you're surrounded by people you don't like. You want to know the truth about your brokenness? How do you feel when those people vote that way? You want to know the truth about your brokenness? How do you feel when those people march? You want to know the truth about what's really in you? How do you feel when those people in that country do that thing? You want to know the truth about how broken you are? Surround yourself with the people who you think are more broken than you and look how you respond. This is where the truth of us is exposed. God uses our enemies to reveal the true enemy inside of us. Pride, judgmentalness, wrath, anger, unforgiveness. He uses the people we like the least to show us what we need to see the most, the brokenness inside of ourselves. There's a brilliant, uh, Tim Mackey showed in one of his talks or whatever, showed this quote from a guy named Walter Wink in Engaging the Powers, and it said this. It said, the gift our enemy may be able to bring us to see aspects of ourselves that we cannot discover any other way than through our enemies. Our friends seldom tell us these things. They are our friends precisely because they're able to overlook or ignore this part of us. The enemy is thus not merely a hurdle to be leaped on the way to God. The enemy may be the way to God. We cannot come to terms with our shadow except through our enemies. Don't we know this is true? Don't we know this is true? Guys, you know, I say we should love our country and love all these things and love our family and love our people. But in those moments, you don't see the truth of your brokenness. I see the truth of my brokenness when I see those people on television and I have those feelings. Hidden racism. Hidden resentment. 
hidden pride, hidden shame that's only revealed when I'm seated at a table in the presence of my enemies. It's in the presence of your enemies when you see the truth of who you are. It's in the presence of your enemies when you see the brokenness that still exists inside of you. And I, the response right now should be, okay, what do I do? I mean, I, I, do I just turn? I, what do you do? I don't know. You struggle with it. But we get honest about the disease that's still inside of us. Does it make their wrongs right? But you can't help anybody with the speck until you deal with the log. There's something inside of us that hates them, that hates that person, that hates that person at work every time, every time they come in. But we are forgiven people, and we have been forgiven of much. So the only righteous response is to forgive them. With his life, with his death, and with his resurrection, Jesus the Christ took his hand off my throat. He didn't have to, and he shouldn't have, because I'm the chief among the sinners. But he released me. Now will you release them? It's time to get honest. They're not the problem. We are. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.